yeah, you know how we do it. Live, back in action, streaming through your airwaves. This is the Root for Sports podcast presented by the Sports Column. My name is Jason Fearman, and as you know, this is a football-loving show. We love our NFL here at RFRS, as do my Sunday morning teammates on the 3rd and 3 podcast. We're going to close out the last dance on Sunday. In addition to all the NFL action we got in store for you, but without further ado, please allow me to introduce today's special guest, This man played his college ball at Alabama, won the 1992 National Championship, along with being selected to the All-SEC team in 92. Selected in the first round by the Green Bay Packers in the 1993 draft. From there, my guest went on to have an excellent career, making a living behind and around the ball, and as one of the best and hard-hitter guys from my day back in the 90s, man, Mr. George Teague. How are you, sir? Yes, sir. Doing great, man. Thank you for uh, inviting me on, and you know, just glad to have this opportunity to chat with you for a little bit. Uh, believe me, man, it's my pleasure. When I was talking to my co-hosts on Sunday, I mentioned that I was having you on this week, and they're like, "Oh, that's great. That's an awesome game." I'm like, "You're telling me." I remember from back in the day, man. And we talk about back in the day, going in the '90s. We're going to talk about football from the '90s because when we talk about Green Bay, who you were drafted with, and going over to the Cowboys, me being a Niner fan, bro. Oh, my God. We got some stuff to talk about, George. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. As long as you don't bring up anything about my hot top fade, I used to <laughs> <laughs> No, man. You look good. You look good. Everybody sported that back in the day, the Will Smith high top fade. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But you know what, man? What put you on the map was definitely that Sugar Bowl in 93. I mean, that puts you on the map. You were rolling with the Crimson Tide. You guys had won the national championship. It was under Gene Stallings, if a uh, you know, if memory serves. And that must have been an unbelievable time. I wanted to throw it over to you like college days. And the the ones who don't get to experience that amazing locker room teammate feeling and, you know, being around on campus and everybody looking at you and loving you, not, you know, not being the um, celebrity type, but knowing that you're part of something tremendous at school. Yeah, that's true. And it is totally different, and especially back in the 90s, because we actually used to have football dormitories, you know, where the football team was all together. So when you talk about camaraderie and having a room with it, you know, they ended up changing the rules where you had to not, uh, you had to bring in the engineers or, you know, something where they thought the football players were living too lavishly, I guess. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I don't know why they got to mess up. I mean, hey, listen, you guys, that's, I tell people all the time, look, when they say about football players to make all this money, that money, they shouldn't be talking this and that. Look, I get it. They're making millions of dollars. Now, you guys weren't necessarily making as much, obviously, back in the day, but they need to understand how hard you guys work. It's not like, oh, you just get up and you put on, you know, some pads and you play football. This is an everyday thing, not just physically, George, but mentally as well, and studying the tape and how much you put into it all week long just to get to Sunday or Saturday. We get a lot of debate about that on the value of athletes to a college or to a city or to a team because of um, all the things you just mentioned. Um, not only do we have to work hard and we have to study long days. Most people don't know that in the pros in particular, you know, your football day is seven to five. Right, you know, right. All football. Um, so it's a pretty big deal. But in college, you know, you had to go to class and there were things that we weren't allowed to do either, like work. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, it made it pretty stressful. It's, it's rewarding. Uh, I need to say that it's definitely rewarding. Um, but it's just a different dynamic when you're, you know, people argue about whether or not guys should be scholarships or given per diem or being paid for their likeness or anything. I, mm-hmm. I think you really have to 
get into our shoes and see that, man, we, we bring a lot of value to, you know, to cities, to universities. Um, it's big business, man. It's big business. Yeah, and I think I was a little naive to that many years ago. I'm, I'm 40 now, and I'm talking about, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago. A little naive and, you know, looked at you guys as more of like, you know, these idols and, you know, celebrity types. But, again, got to understand that your people going through this thing. And like you said, you weren't just playing football. You were going to school. You were studying. You had to pass. Nobody was giving you anything. It wasn't put on a silver platter for you. And I'm not saying that guys go, you know, have that as much nowadays. It seems to be a little bit. I don't want to say even easier path, but again, it doesn't matter if you get to the NFL, nobody can say that you suck. <laughs> you're in the NFL. All right. You made it through all that, all those draft picks and whatnot. You're there. So nobody in the NFL sucks. <laughs> you are definitely right about that. I learned that fast. Their, their teams might not be playing quite as well, but there are no bad athletes. You know, that, that it still blows me away just to think about there's like, 1500 players right you know, exactly in the whole league period period um, so you got to be elite to to get there so no matter how bad you think someone is their their worst day is a hundred times better than right <laughs> people that aren't there. right exactly you know like can you play like ball with like kids in the neighborhood and you like spot you know you pick this one first every time and that one second every time and you're like oh man you should see this guy he's such a great athlete then you get to like college and it's like, oh, okay, you know, he's pretty, he was good around the block, but damn, man, now he's not even starting. And st so it's a whole different ball game when you get up to that stuff, man. I got friends who were, you know, ready to go on and play in the NFL. Um, I, I don't know if you remember uh, Amos Zeroway. He only played for a very short time. They came out of my high school and met from high school from um, uh, here in Long Island. Well, in Long Island, I'm in Florida now, but. I just remember all the work that he put in, even in high school, this is back in 1996, he was being treated like a celebrity from everybody in the building and even having, you know, the news, the local news come around, just being that big in the town and then moving on and how hard it was for him at West Virginia. But then he eventually did get drafted and played in the NFL for a short time and he was a running back. So I want to ask you a little specifically, if you don't mind, George, I know, again, you were a safety, you played cornerback as well, but the running backs with these short you know, lifespans, as I'll say in the NFL, should they be paid? I don't want to say differently, but should there be a different scale for them? Because we know that the average span for a running back is maybe three years if they're lucky. And we know that they're not going to get paid so handsomely, you know, when they come up with that contract and you can look at guys around the league right now. So what do you think about that? And maybe certain positions being paid differently? Well, I'll say this. I think quarterbacks are paid differently. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> You're right. So why not? I mean, the, yeah, there's a certain value on that position, quarterbacks, you know, whatever it is, the leader, the face, uh, and they're protected. You know, they're protected from getting hurt. Right. Where running backs, on the other hand, are definitely have to be something very strong in your program, but they're going to get banged up on all the time. Um, uh, probably almost every play, right? whether they're blocking or running. So, yes, I do think there should be some type of different scale or at least the value of the running back should be different. And how do you do it? You know, maybe that's the, the TikTok. Someone has to, you know, work your way up and, you know, go into it where they're almost thought of like quarterbacks. I'm not saying they need to make quarterback money. Um, but I think, you know, when you have a guy that is going to carry the ball 30 times a game, you know, a, a Derrick Henry, <laughs> you know, right. um, a Zeke or somebody that's just going to be toting the pill, man, they, they can't be on the same scale as somebody that's just 
getting a few snaps. You know, I totally get that. And I, I really get that now so much. I see it and I see how the owners, and I don't want to get too much into it, but they certainly take advantage of the situation, Mike, especially with that position. And you're right, the quarterbacks get paid on a totally different scale. And, you know, I'm not going to single out Dak Prescott now, but we see what's happening with him in Dallas where you did play under the same ownership, mind you. And I'm not going to, you know, look for digs and stuff like that. But I can't imagine what this guy is going through. And I know he's asking for a lot of money, George. I get it. And that kind of is the way in the NFL now where you're the next guy up. So you should be paid that amount. Do you agree with that concept where the next guy should be getting paid to kind of set the standards for the next generation or get paid according to scale? No, I think you have to get paid according to your talent level. Mm, I like that. Um, so doesn't necessarily matter. Of, yeah, you want to okay, you can think of future, but no one thinks about that. We think about ourselves when it comes to our contracts. You know, right. speaking particularly about Dak, you know, he's trying to look out for himself. Um, but it still, to me, has to be based upon what you've done or what people project you to do. That's the other part of the game that people don't even talk about. So that's where the discrepancies come in. Um, but, you know, in his case, specifically, I know you didn't necessarily ask me, but, hey, you know, he's got dilemma. You get, you know, the rules with the uh, franchise, you know, mm -hmm. stuff. He's still going to make $30 million. So as an outsider and a former player, I'm going, well, you know what, $32 million. <laughs> One year is not too bad. You right, know, right. When you're coming from... Four million or whatever he was making, I'm all right with it. I he told him I get hurt, but you know he wants a long term deal. I don't, you know, I've been in that situation, so I can talk on the contracts. You know, when I was, I had to go through multiple contracts, and we we're always trying to work to get the biggest bang for our buck, the biggest signing bonus. I understand it and get it, uh, but. That, that's a big jump, man. I'm sure his mom is telling the boy, what will? <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I got to say, look, man, that's a lot of cash. I mean, even and let me ask you that since, again, you have been through that. How do you feel from a player's perspective, from your standpoint, if you're going to be franchised or let's say you got your franchise uh, tag coming up and you're going to get paid in the top five in your position? Are you comfortable with a one year deal like that? Or I know that, of course, you'd rather have that long term deal, but. I kind of hear you saying for him, it's like, you know, take that money, man, and grab it because that can even set you up for life, generations upon generations. So uh, uh, I'll speak to this. It's kind of halfway sideways kind of answer, right? Because I, I was actually tendered, you know. Right, okay. Third year after that. So, you know, there were some parts of that where I knew I was, what I was going to have to make or I was going to have to be traded, right? Mm -hmm. um, so in, in one sense, I took that as, okay, that means I still have value. They want me. We just need some extra time to try to work through it. You know, but you understand the business side. Of, hey, maybe they're trying to save some money too or trying to trade you. Yeah. <laughs> um, whatever it is. So I think that, you know, you have to take that as a, I, I don't think it ever should be like a negative deal just because it's business. Uh, and at some point mm -hmm. someone has to tell you that if, if if an organization think they can keep you for an extra year for a little bit cheaper, isn't that what's going on with our jobs right now? Instead of paying someone a little bit more hourly, they're... That's a great example. You're right. Man, they're trying to save their bottom end. And that's how their businesses, too. They're, they're figuring out, hey, man, if I can save $20 million, I'm going to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, Money's money. So, 
It is. It is. So I, I don't try to take, you might not like it. Maybe they're, you know, but that's how we are in everyday lives. There's no difference to me as a high school coach, one a little bit of extra dollars or 3% raise. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be, okay, we can only give you two. Then, you know, it starts going back and forth. Now you're talking on a different scale. Now you're right. millions. Oh, my gosh. Um uh, I don't want to be in the front office side of that either. I uh, man, I can. I'm saying, man, I'm just thinking about you right now. And in the '90s, yeah, you know, you were you were paid well for you know some regular person in the '90s. You got paid handsome, but God, George, can you imagine right now somebody of yours? Honestly, I'm you know somebody of your stature who was honestly one of the best safeties that I've seen, especially during that time period when you were playing for Dallas and for Green Bay, especially. You would have been paid great today in my opinion i mean i just put yourself on the field right now and i look at the safeties and yeah there are a few good ones out there there's no doubt got a great one in adams in new york over there when you look at some of them now and you kind of put yourself in that position my god the amount of money right now george that could be and i guess every generation could say that when you look 20 years back from 20 years ago but damn man all that cash that's get thrown around oh my god i I mean easily you could have had yourself a sweet four-year deal for i mean geez making I don't know, 12, 13, 14 mil a year, something like that, the way that you played. No, you're right. And trust me, I think about it. And I think you hit it spot on, though, that, you know, I, I hear from a lot of older guys than me and say, man, you, you know, hey, you got it, babe. Right. You know, we weren't making the 60000 or I signed them uh-huh. 30000 you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. You're like, what? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but it's know, all relative. Think about it. I think guys are. The way today is now, you can market yourself a lot different. Social media, um, the TV, you know, now you got NFL Network, football on all week. (laughs) Yeah. It seems like. So there's so much more money uh, for these players now that it's right that they should be getting a bigger share of the pot. I get it. Yeah, there is more revenue now. And it is all relative. Like you said, you know, players that came 20 years before you were saying, you know, I just made thousands of dollars. You guys making millions. And now we're getting into all sorts of crazy numbers. But going back on the field, George, you you definitely had an impact in your in your rookie year. You have made the all rookie team uh, started the final 12 games, I think. So going from that transition, you're not getting paid. You're in college. You won a championship. You drafted first round. Here you go. You're in the NFL. You're basically starting as a rookie right away. How is this transition now from being a major big-time player in college, winning the national championship, to now going into the locker room into Green Bay, and here I am in the NFL? How was that for you? Uh, I'm going to say I took on the same approach like what you hear Michael Jordan talking about in the last dance. Ooh, I like it. It it didn't matter to me um, that I, I didn't walk in that way. I knew I still had to prove. I think I've felt more pressure that, hey, I'm the very first pick of the Green Bay Packers mm-hmm. this year. So these guys are going to be looking at me like, who is this young pup? Yep. You know? yep. um, so I had that attitude. I got to get up there early. I got to be ready. I need to learn. I got to do stuff. So I went in like I was a freshman in college saying, I don't, you know, I don't have time for a bunch of BS. I just need to try to figure out how I can get on the field as, as fast as possible. Um, you know, so I like that. Shoot, four four games in, like you said, it was really literally four games in that I was, you know, got thrown into a safety position because I was actually drafted as a corner. Right. People don't even know that. Right. That's as right. A corner. Um, but we had Terrell Buckley and some of those other guys, uh, and so they basically just threw me in in the middle of the game. I never forget wow. that. Literally in the middle of the game. No kidding. You're going to free safety. 
what? What? <laughs> yep, right now. I didn't know all the calls or the texts, and I was, oh, my gosh, my head almost exploded. Oh, my gosh. Oh man, you can see my face right now. I'm like, I need. I had no idea about that. That's amazing. What a, like that? That's got to be like literally like mind altering, total alternate reality. Going to like what? I'm in the game. You got to be freaking kidding me! And here you go. You step on an NFL field, and there you are. And you never look back, George. That was the thing. Like you said, you put in all the work. You walked in like you were a rookie, which you were. So you walk the walk and then you talk to you put in all the work and you never look back from that day on. So once you got that position and moved to safety, like you said, because you, you kind of stole my thunder with that question. You played cornerback the whole time and now here you are at safety, which is the position I love maybe most in the entire football field because you get to see everything. So you're basically in my my, my idea more of a quarterback than even a middle linebacker is because you're seeing the entire field and you got to make decisions very quickly. Is the quarterback moving his head this way just to fake me out? Did I study enough film to know that Michael Irvin is running this route or whatever? So talk about that like a little bit, if you can, um, dealing with some of that and how you never look back and who, who maybe even in conjunction with that maybe took you under the wing a little bit, sort of, if anybody did in Green Bay that first year as you jump right into it, like you said. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, going into that, um, it was, I think a trait of a safety is exactly what you said. Um, the strongest trait. And I know that they still look for them. They're looking for guys who can be quarterbacks of defense, people that can get people lined up, make the checks. If, I mean, for us that watch a lot of football, you see people moving all the time. Tight ends flipping sides, running backs going somewhere. They're trying to confuse you. And if you're a, uh, not so smart football player. First of all, you're not going to last in the league. <laughs> um, but it does help to have a guy that can decipher all that from film watching. And I think that was my strength that I know that was, that was from coaching for, or, you know, the coaching that I received in high school and in college, that it was easier for me to translate into pros because I was in good systems and we were running high level um, schemes. So it was a value for me to be able to come in, like I said, as a corner. And I think it blew them away that I knew where everybody was supposed to be on the field. That's why they said, get, get in there safety and make the, you know, the I check and the play if you can. Um, I love it. So there, there's some value um, to that. And then that's why at that point, even with the change, I had to then say, okay, am I, am I going to embrace this? Am I going to be mad? Am I going to be pissed? <laughs> um, because you can see guys that will do that. No, I'm, I'm supposed to be this. No, I'm only that. I can only play on the left. I can only play on the right. Whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> and I, I, just, I just don't believe in that attitude. I think you do what's best for the team. Uh, you also do was best um, for you. And I, I knew that that would add value because if I needed to go to corner or nickel, I knew that was a plus for me. So mm. I might not have been as great as some of the other guys athletically or something, but you had those smarts and the physicalness and the speed. Shoot, you know, now I'm in the league nine years. Right. <laughs> you know, instead, yeah. Instead of three. Seeing that, there you go. You, you nailed it. The intellect that you have to have. It's not just going out there and bashing heads. No, there is something called football smarts. And not to say that uh, anybody in the league is dumb, but football smarts is a whole different kind of ball game. You know, I played in high school. I was nothing big time at all. And I remember some guys on my team, really close friends of mine who horrible in school. You would think they were 
honestly the dumbest people around. But as soon as they got on the football field, it was like, you know, they were reading the ABCs. It was the easiest thing in the world for them just to be able to have that different intellect on the football field, but to also in conjunction have intellect, you know, school smarts as well, the way that you had. So you can decipher things like you said on the field and from going right to safety, not that safety is an easier position, but corner, you're on an island all by yourself, George. I mean, that is tough stuff when you're trying to guard a guy like, I don't know, Tyree Kill nowadays, right? Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. When you talk about this, if I, if, if you guys could see me right now, so I, I give you a visual. I don't know if you've seen these, those big old three-ring binders. Ah. There was a binders about two inches thick or whatever. That's what the playbooks used to come in. So imagine how big this playbook is. Right? And think about going into training camp. And they're telling you, you basically got six weeks to learn everything in this book. And we're going <laughs> rapidly fast. And you're about to play a game in two weeks. And it's hot. And you're hitting. And you're in the training room. And you're missing your family. And, you know, you're wherever it is. And you got to keep up. That is the biggest difference. Because if you can't keep up, no matter how athletic you are, you're not going to make it. Um, and that's where guys end up getting cut. You know, um, so I always look at that in July and August when they're going through that. All I'm thinking about is now they're re- reading it on iPads or whatever they're doing. Yeah, yeah, they, exactly. They ain't hitting necks fast enough. <laughs> 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 they ain't going to make it, folks. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You got to keep up. You got to have the smarts, man. There's no doubt about it. And I think that we see people in the NFL on the field that they speak more eloquently a little bit more nowadays. I think that they're just they have the realization that you got to be a smarter guy individually and that make you a smarter football player and a smarter business person along the way so that all makes sense to me george one thing before we take a really quick break and i definitely want to get into this more but we were talking off air real quick about me being a 49 fan and i remember in you back in the day with green bay and dallas we're getting into dallas in, in a little bit um from going from green bay having a little stint we'll talk about with the dolphins and then going back to dallas afterward I remember you, George, being such an incredibly hard hitter, a guy that was always around the ball. And I'm not just saying this because you're you're on right now with me. That's the reason you're on with me right now is because I envied your game so much. And again, telling you how I used to be a safety. Again, I was nothing big time at all, but how much I love that position and watching you play and the hits that you put on people back then, obviously you can't get away with nowadays. All right. So I want to get into the 49 and stuff, but I want to ask you real quick on one point before we go to commercial. And that is, if you remember the uh, Jadavian Clowney hit on Carson Wentz in the playoffs this year, you remember that shot? Yes. All right. I'm not calling Clowney a dirty player at all because I do not know. Okay. But George, I, I was looking at Wentz in that play and his knee was basically down already. Is that a dirty hit? Again, we're not calling him a dirty player, but with Clowney, you know, kind of kneeling his helmet into Wentz while he's already down, do you consider that a dirty play? Um, yeah, I think, you know, especially with the way the rules are and the awareness of it, the players have to really, really be in tune when they got to back off it, and particularly with quarterbacks. So, yes, I will go into that and say, man, that that's, that's tough. I don't ever like to see guys get fired and kicked out and out of the league and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. unless they're just doing it repeatedly like some people. Um, right. Um, but you know, I, I think there's no place in the game um, for that or any side. I don't like when wide receivers go cut defensive backs and hit them in the knees. I don't mm-hmm. think a defensive lineman should hit the quarterback in the knee. Um, so 
Yeah, to answer your question. And yeah. There's no place in the game for nah. that. Nah, you know, chop blocks and stuff like that, you know, no good. You know, especially, you know, you back, you know, facing the end zone and whatnot. People don't realize how much weight and stuff is coming at you and how strong you guys are and how physical and how fast, you know, to put that all together. You know, you guys really are like train smashing out there. And that's what I was getting to watching you play. Again, me being a 49er fan from Montana to Young and having to deal with you, you wouldn't go away with Green Bay and then Dallas. You were always there, George. You were always there, I swear. And I, I must have mentioned your name on Sundays watching a million times. I'm like, this guy does not go away. Those games were so intense, man. Bring me there, bro. Bring me there, George. Yeah, it's awesome. I wanted to admit, you know, I did get a chance to play out there at Captain Stick against Jerry Rice in the game. Oh. It was super, super intense. Jermaine, uh, Jerry Rice is amazing. You know, he's an awesome <laughs> dude, but the team was really, really good. But you know what? Um, offline. I'm going to have to try to get you back over to our side over this Cowboys side. Cause, oh, uh, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, no. I, I know y'all oh. had a good year last year. Y'all were doing all right. But, hey, man, we're about to be back, man. We're about to be back. Yeah, back with Dak. We'll see about that. <laughs> we'll see. Not yet. You know what, though? I was disappointed with the Cowboys. And, you know, honestly, just from an outsider's perspective, I, I, I don't know what happened to them. Can you put your finger on it? Because – they seem to have everything in place. And I like Dak. I ain't going to lie. I think that he's an excellent quarterback. And I, I, he he won me over in that Rams playoff game a couple of years ago. Um, I, I started looking at him as the leader on the field. So I thought they had it all together last year. What what did they miss? Was it defense? Was it play calling, coaching? I actually think it was defense. And I'm going to take a little farther. And this is purely speculation because I'm not in the locker room like that. And I don't know the guys like that. So mm-hmm. let me tell you that part first. But I know every team that I've seen that's kind of had these kind of problems where there's a lot of talent, you know, which Cowboys had a lot of talent yeah. and you can't produce. It's got to be locker room stuff. There's not a, mm. a voice in there, a leader. There's not a Michael Irvin. There's not an Emmitt Smith. There's not a Troy Aikman. There's someone that says, hey, this just ain't about you. You know, we can have individual stuff, but our goals are all the same. That's to win the Super Bowl. And nowadays, I think it's harder, right? Uh, just because, of, again, like I said, Twitter, social media, endorsements, all the extra money you can make off the field. I think so much of it is that our players in Dallas, you know, are too much about themselves mm-hmm. and not enough about the organization and going and getting it. And, you know, that's that's just really unfortunate because when I look at teams like you played on back in the day, I keep saying back in the day or back in the day, you know, it's really not that far back in the day. We're only talking a few years here, but they seem to be more united. Like I can, I remember Troy Aikman talking in this and that and Michael Irvin being the clear leader, if not on offense of the whole team. I know exactly what you're talking about. Having that locker room together and, you know, having a leader, leader whether it's the coach or whether it's the quarterback or your best wide receiver, whoever it is, but somebody's got to step up and, you know, say, hey, look, things aren't going right here, fellas. And that's not be about us. And I wonder if that's the same thing going on in Cleveland. You got all that talent around there. Maybe not the best coaching, obviously. We'll see what happens there this year. But that's kind of the same deal there. When you talk about a team, it's made up of individual players, but you got to come together, George, as a team. No, you hit it. And I'm the great reference to the to the Browns um, there because that's exactly what I said. There are too many superstars. If you don't have a coach that can manage that or, you know, a GM or someone that can manage that, it, it's going to cause 
problems because you don't have any unity. And then you got to think in these cases now, now guys are living in their own homes. They're out. Maybe they're not going to eat together. You know, they're mm-hmm. not hanging out at Wingstop, <laughs> you know, together like we used to. That was the difference. You know, we used to do a lot of stuff, certainly by positions, but there was always groups of guys that, hey, I'm going to go up here and eat. You know, yep. Uh, do you want to go out and drink? Whatever. Do you want to come over by the house? Um, it was just about camaraderie. I'm not sure that really happens now. I hear you. I know. And it, we do live in a te- technical world uh, nowadays. It is different. I understand that. But some teams seem to always come together like the Patriots did for, you know, those past 20 years or so. So Bill Belichick, Tom Brady. Yeah, I hear you about leadership right there. We're talking with George Teague. We're going to take a very, very quick break and we're going to come right back, get into more on the field stuff and talk about what George is doing now, which is spectacular. Can't wait to get back with you guys. Rufus Sports Podcast. We'll be back in a second. All right, back on the Roof of Sports podcast with George Teague. We are talking NFL football. We talked about his days over in Alabama, uh, part of the Crimson Tide winning national championship, him coming in as a rookie in 93, getting on the field basically right away, fourth game into the season, being asked to jump from cornerback position to safety. It's been an amazing talk so far, George. And again, man, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes with me today. Yes, sir, man. Thank you very much. This is Route 4, that, that's Florida, that Orlando, what is that? You know what? It's funny. I get that ass all the time. It's really more of a pun on words. Root, like as we're rooting for a team, so Route 4 sports. So it was a ridiculous pun on words that somebody <laughs> made up about 12 years ago, and it just stuck. I'm like, all right, forget I- I'll keep it. But they're actually, you know, Dan, it's funny. There is a Route 4 in New Jersey. So everybody's always like, oh, you're from Jersey. I'm like, no, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not from Jersey. So maybe I should change the damn name. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, speaking of names, you were definitely a name on the field, man. Like I was talking before, uh, watching you as a 49er fan just broke my heart every damn time. And you guys, I mean, you uh, in particular, you came very close to winning that chip over there with Dallas and with Green Bay. Talk about a little bit being in those intense playoff games. And I have another few more questions for you before we get to what you're doing now uh, that I want to get into. But those playoff games, you know, we talked a little bit about the on-field rival with the Niners and whatnot, but knowing that you had a chance almost every year to get there, that's a different feeling than just being on on another team. And you know that winning the championship in college. That's right. You know what? I've let you get away with this. Would you keep telling me that you're a 49ers fan? <laughs> I don't care that you're a 49ers fan. I got it, all right? I, my face. I, I understand. We, we got our loyalty. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm going to let you get away with it for now. You know, all right. Guy, man. So we ain't going to say you're talking about 49ers. But, uh, <laughs> but hey, the, uh, the playoffs, they're totally different. I mean, I know when you we – we play every game to win every game, regular season. But the intensity of that first wild card weekend or whatever it is, you know, it is totally different because you know it's do or die at that point. Um, and the, the crowds tend to be more electric. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just because it's the playoffs, but it just seems so different. The intensity – from the coaching staff, the pressures of the players, you know, to be able to perform. It is truly a different level each week. Now, I only made it up to the NFC Championship game. Right, right. Um, never got into the Super Bowl, but I can tell you, by, by the time you got into the NFC Championship, I mean, everybody is just kind of, you know, butts all tight and everything. <laughs> and we're almost here. <laughs> you know, we got to yeah. get there. Uh, yep. um, so it's definitely different. 
Uh, it's got to be a nerve wracking feeling. I can I really only imagine it's just got when you talk about again the intellect and then just the emotions though that go into everything you know stepping out there yeah you i can only imagine you being a pro it don't matter you're still nervous because you know what's at the end of the tunnel you know what's at the end of that road and it's like damn i just want to get there and you play as hard as you can but sometimes there's just another better team on the other side of the line but you've been on the winning side a lot and i saw you on the winning side in a different sort of way george and ironically we're talking about me being a 49 fan it came I don't want to say at the expense of the 49ers, but at one particular player, we know him, Terrell Owens. And I know you've been asked this question before, George, but I got to get into it with you just for a second here. It, ironically enough, I'm on your side and me bad-mouthing you back in the day, all those days, because you kept crushing us. I was with you that day <laughs> so much, not just because of my <laughs> on my dislike for one Terrell Owens, but for what that represented in my mind when I saw it, because let's not forget everybody who's listening right now, T.O. did that twice. And I'm not saying because he scored two touchdowns, but he did that twice. We went on the star. And to me, George, that was just disrespect. And what you did afterwards, blowing him up like that, even as me despising your Cowboys and the huge 49er fan that I was, I got up out of my seat and I cheered for you. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. I did. Um, you know, T.O. in that incident, it was, there's all kind of emotions that fly in it with me, you know, personally, um, but also the whole act, you know. So there's a lot of um, trash talking, action going on and this type of stuff. But, you know, when we talk about being a competitor and what's happening, you know, in a game and you're losing, it doesn't matter what level you play it all right. No one likes to lose we're not the, the good people anyway mm-hmm. you know, they really want to do it so it was hot man we we're getting our butts handed to us <laughs> this is what i want to tell you what everybody else knows right Cause my wife is exactly the same way she's fierce she's a competitor and <laughs> she was sitting in the, in the end zone and she's she's watching me and terrell go at it the whole game and i mm-hmm. made the mistake of looking at her you know and she kind of gave me this look like really Oh boy, interesting. Like, like really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, good boy, because I could ultimately I gotta go home to her, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this stuff, so no, but then, you know, it, it really is funny, right? Because my wife and my sister in law were sitting in two areas in another area. My wife listen, my wife did not want to sit in the wives section. <laughs> She didn't. She, she said, "Hey, you know, they all they ain't paying attention to the game. They don't want to do this other stuff. You know, they're right. gossiping or whatever. I want to go sit amongst the um, enemies." So we bought our season tickets in the um, visitors um, section. Of oh my god! You yeah. got guts, man! Wow, that's huge. That's the family, right? And so anytime you're watching on, you know, social media or whatever, this who this lady is. It's good. It's great. That's so fantastic. After it's over. You know, she's cheering more than me. So here's your tidbit that most people don't know. At the same time, there were four teeks in the building. Me, my wife, my brother, and his wife. As I was getting kicked out, my brother was getting kicked out at the exact same time. Get out of here. Stan's fighting over there. I was fighting over here. We both get tossed. Now, I'm not supposed to leave the stadium, but I 
I didn't know any different. I've never been kicked out of the game. <laughs> right. So I was leaving, going to my car. My brother's walking out at the exact same time, being escorted out. I'm looking at him when I'm going, what are you doing? He's looking at me going, well, what the heck are you doing? You know? <laughs> and so, I, you know, I just got kicked out of the game. Me too. You know, so like this crazy. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. A day that two, so my wife always says, hey, four teams went to the game. That is great. <laughs> no, I'm crying right now. That is unbelievable. <laughs> you, you are right. I had no idea about that. That is just great. <laughs> I love it, your brother, man. You're fighting over here. You're both beating up people. You on the field, him in the stands. <laughs> that is excellent. Oh, my God. And right there, oh man, right there. Now you that's so funny. I love how you say it. It's like I don't even know what do we never been kicked out the game before. So you just walk out and you see your brother there, man. <laughs> that's hysterical. So hey man, that's a it's a it's great stories. We we talk about it a lot, my brother. We still, you know, every time he tries to throw something at me, I throw it right back at him, like, bro, you got kicked out too. So <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> you ain't no better. <laughs> Oh man, that is excellent. That is that is fat. Oh man, the fans love this one right now. There is no doubt about it. They, when they that, that's great. I can just picture that you meet him in the parking lot like that. It's like oh, we both got kicked out, but for real, man. Now you know what he listen. He had to come in, and, and I love the competitive nature of your wife. That is fantastic. She don't want to be sitting there with the with the regular, you know, with the wives or whatever. She's with there with the fans and whatnot, getting into it. You brothers had in the 49er fans in the stands. I can only imagine how incredible that must have been, but. <laughs> just unreal and all from one guy obviously sitting it all off in teal but again what you did i i totally i literally did literally stood up out of my chair I remember us be, all being in the bar watching the game it's niners and cowboys so obviously it's a big game as always doesn't matter what year it is and yeah i literally got up out of my seat i'm like that is exactly what i've been talking about guys that's why i'm not a big teal fan and this man won my respect if he didn't have it before obviously he's got it right now because Listen, I would have done the same thing if I'd been given the opportunity in that situation. I just took that as disrespectful because he knew after the first time, no, don't do that. And then he knew after the second time, yo, again, that boy flew, George. I mean, he went flying through the air. I mean, one second he's on the star in the TV. The next he's flying off the screen. He's not even in the picture no more. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's absolutely well, stark. I have tried to have conversations with him, but he won't even. Talk to me anymore. So Listen, it is what it is. You know what, man? I, I don't even blame you. I don't blame you. You do what you had to do. And I, I don't know why he didn't get kicked out the game, but it's funny. You and your brother get kicked out, but Tia don't get kicked out the game for unsportsmanlike <laughs> conduct. That's just crazy, man. That's sick to me. Oh, God. So that, that's a funny thing all in itself. But you know what? Moving to a more serious topic right now before I get into what's going on with you at the moment. The whole thing that just come out in the past week or so with minority candidates in the NFL where they're now incentivizing it more to hire an African-American either coach or GM to get now draft picks back or an extra pick in the draft back. This to me seems so, if if you don't mind, I'll say something real quick and then I want to shoot it over to you because you can speak to this, you know, much better than I can being in the league, obviously, and knowing what goes on, but that's just backhanded to me. I don't understand that whole thing there's got to be a better way to have more opportunity for everybody to have interviews and whatnot. And they should do something during the postseason. I think George where, yeah, I understand that Eric B is coaching a team of the Super Bowl, but should that be, you know, something negative on him where he can't get an interview? So I don't like 
me personally, George, I don't like it because it seems like it's a backhanded rule, a backhanded slap rule saying that, okay, yeah, hire, hire a black coach, an African-American coach, and we'll give you this. No, like you said before, any player, and I think any coach has to be hired on their talents or their intellect or both together. And I think there's plenty of African-American coaches out there that can do that. And maybe they're just not given the opportunity. So I don't get it. I'm not sure how it all works because there's plenty of African-American players in the NFL. So please, if you can help me out a little bit with your thoughts on this and maybe a little bit insight as to how this can even be something thought of or concocted in the NFL nowadays. Yeah. So, okay. So first I'll, I'll start with, I don't, I don't like the rule okay. um, either. So, you know, no, you can go a whole bunch of different levels on that. But I can say that the Rooney rule hasn't worked, <laughs> you know, and True. that's supposed to be the, the catalyst to try to get more black coaches, black head coaches, but, you know, that ultimately has become a slap in the face that they're just flying someone in, speak to them for a day, <laughs> and right. flying back out knowing they weren't even ever going to hire them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I don't like that personally, um, you know, either. Um, I get what they're trying to say or do, but I, I look, I'm, I'm too realistic. I'm too simple-minded. A lot of people don't like it uh, or whatnot, but it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. It is backhanded, and they're still – it doesn't mean that a white owner or whatever owner is got to hire um, a brother for that draft pick. And if he does, what happens when he fires in the next year mm. or something else? You know, I think Good there's going to be more negative because then it's going to be, well, he used me, he did this. And I don't know all the whole rules of how it would work, but I see it being more disastrous than than positive um, with it. So, you know, speaking from my experience as a coach, as an athletic director, um, I still think you have to work for stuff. Maybe there's uh, unfair obstacles that, you know, I'll never say that that doesn't happen, but you know what you got to do. No one thought I was going to be a head football coach. No one thought I was mm. going to be a, a black athletic director at Lily White, John Paul II High School either right um, okay you we as individuals have to do what we need to do whatever that means read up some more study some more work the room some more show your value prove that you can do it and then people can't tell you no um wow. and you gotta have success when you get in that chair because uh, when you get in that chair all the pressure's on you and it might be more because you're african-american trust me i feel it every single day i it's different yeah but you got to rise to the occasion, man. Um, and so that's what needs to happen with coaches in the National Football League, black coaches. Like you said, a lot of players, there's a lot of black coaches on that on the staffs. But you got you to gotta work the system, bro, uh, and work your way up. Yep, I, I get it, and that's really well said. And there's no doubt there's more than plenty of candidates out there. But again, the rule and what they're trying to implement or what it's it, – it's, no, nah, it's just wrong and – I think the, you, that's a great point that you hit on that I haven't heard anybody say yet. And believe me, I've heard a lot of different opinions using the coach for one year, not saying that, you know, we're putting this in quotes now and coming back the next year and, you know, firing the guy. That is an excellent point saying, well, did you just use him to, you know, to get the draft picks or whatever and then have a different plan? That is an excellent, excellent point, George, that I didn't think of at all. Yeah, man, it, it's, it's tough because it all looks good and sounds good until you get in it. And it, 
that would be worse. Can you imagine what the fan base would be like? Wow. Yeah. In, uh, NAACP is going to say about that. Um, Come on, bro. That, uh-uh. It's not good. That is some knowledge. That that that's some real that's some really great knowledge right there. I can't. Oh man, fans loving this right now too. There's no doubt about it. That's that is an excellent point. I'm, I've, I told you, I've heard a lot of different points. I have not heard that yet, and that is great thought right there. That's very well thought out and set, George. No doubt. So moving on from that and kind of being in this in the same arena, like you said, you are in this position now. You're a head football coach at John Paul II High School in Plano, Texas. Do me a favor and fill us in how things have been going over there. And I know that you've been previously in positions like this before, but you have got a lot of responsibility right now. And again, being in the situation that we're in right now in this pandemic uh, globally, this has got to be really tough. But also at the same time, stepping away from it, how rewarding this must be for you. And I can hear it in your voice of how much, you know, how passion, how passionately you're speaking about being the head coach and being an athletic director and how you have to work your way to do that. You obviously did that to get to where you are right now. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. And I do love what I do. Um, and I started out right after one year after I retired from Dallas Cowboys, I started coaching, um, at high school and I've had opportunities to be in, um, you know, the college ranks or the pro ranks, and I've actually decided not to go. No kidding. Um, really? At those times. So, um, and, and so, yeah, because it's, it's different. At the time, you know, it was really more of where I was mentally. I wasn't ready to get back into the business side of the NFL <laughs> just because I got mm. caught up in it enough. Um, I didn't want the stresses of not have, being able to control my own future in college, you know, because head coach get fired, you get fired too. That kind right, of thing. Right. Um, so I decided to go the high school route. It really just worked my way up from a small school all the way up to now to JP2. Um, it kind of built a um, reputation of taking uh, programs that weren't very good and turning them into something that had been thriving. So that's where we are now. When I took the job, John Paul II was one in 33 or something. Oh, like wow. That. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we went 10 and four and went to the state championship. Um, That's great. We didn't win it, but we went last year. So we still got some unfinished business um, to do. Um, and being an AD, now planning, you talked about COVID and this stuff. I did speak to some college coaches, pro coaches. Hey, what are we doing? What's the best? It, it's very hard to plan. Um, for a high school kids that you know aren't going to necessarily <laughs> keep their social distancing like they're supposed to. And right. are going to start conducting these workouts here in Texas, um, you know, um, starting June 1st for us. So it is challenging, but I love it. That's the thing. This is what we are. We're, just sum up all of everything that you said. You got to plan. You got to organize. You got to have good people around you. You got to have people that you trust. And you got to have bosses that uh, allow you to do things, you know, so you can be successful. And I have all of those um, right now. So being at John Paul II High School in Plano is uh, it's been a very good fit for me. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, like I said, I can really hear the passion coming out of your voice since we were talking off air before about this. That's really excellent, man. And I, I got to say, it just from a pure football standpoint, taking out all the money and all the you know celebrity and all this and that, to be in just a pure football atmosphere, whether it's in junior high or high school, and that's where it all is at, man. That's where you talk about locker room. You stepping in for a team, like you said, it was one and thirty-three. Turning them around to ten and four is no joke, all right? Because 
we're not just talking about different players coming in year after year and how you have to deal with that. And you're not dealing with contracts and so on and so forth. So that's got to make things really difficult, knowing that you're getting in new crops of kids every single year and turning the whole school around in that sense is something that is extremely hard to do. And while we've been talking throughout this whole conversation, you've been talking about working hard and working smart. And that seems to me the reason why you are where you are, because you worked hard and you work smart. Well, thank you. Yes. Uh, and I, I, I will be remiss to, to not say this because I don't know who's going to hear it and who's listening, but I couldn't do these without the people around me. That's faculty members. That's my coaches. You know, that's the parents and all that kind of stuff. So it's not just a George Teague show. You know, I got the ideas. <laughs> uh, but it takes a lot of people to, to do that. And that's why, you know, wow. if, it, if I were a, a GM or running some scouting department or something of that nature you know you still got to have good people that are that are around you to to make that happen so that your team can be um successful so hey man you know it's like you doing this part it takes a lot of hard work for you to be successful to get people to listen to tune in it takes marketing it takes persistence yes yes sir yes sir um and these are the qualities i mean you show i bet you know a while back when you just the 49ers fan that you say, you know, <laughs> I didn't think you'd be sitting here talking to, you know, as many Cowboys. Yes, um, that's true. <laughs> that That's true from, yeah, that's true from two different standpoints. One, yeah, being a Cowboy and yeah, the other, yeah, thinking, you know, watching you on football and then thinking I'd be talking to you one day. Yeah, uh, two totally different worlds, obviously, man. No doubt that that is really just incredible stuff over there. I, again, the, the pure passion and the pure football that goes on at that level and you, you know, talking to you earlier, yeah, you could have had jobs in the NFL and you could have had jobs even in college. And I know you love what you're doing now, but do you give any thought to that in the future, five, eight years, 10 years down the road that maybe you want to go into that arena? Yes, absolutely. Um, nice. You know, there's a time and a place. There's always a place for growth, um, things of that nature. And you just never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, but I love the valuation side. You know, I got a lot of friends in the league, a lot of friends in college. And, um, you know, you just never know. Right now, like I said, I, I am happy where I'm at. I am glad to be the head football coach and athletic director at JP2. Um, and, you know, things have still come up uh, very recently, you know, that, you know, make you think and say, okay, is this the right time? It just hasn't been the right time. But mm. who knows? Maybe there will be. That timing is everything, man. And you said it right there. Where you are right now is where you're supposed to be. It sounds like it sounds like you're loving what you're doing. You're making these kids better kids, not just on the field, but off the field because of where you've been in your life and your positions from the NFL, college, learning all this different stuff. It must be mind blowing for these kids to walk in and see, wow, George Teague, my God, this incredible NFL player. He's our head, he's our head coach. Not how lucky those kids are, but the knowledge that they get because of what you've been through on the field yourself is just absolutely amazing. And I, I just can't imagine how thrilling it is for you to walk in and turn a whole program around like that. What can we look forward to before we get you out of here? We know that we're dealing with an, kind of an upside down year at this point. And I know that you guys would already be starting your training camp and whatnot, but the plan going forward, hopefully for this football season coming up, is it looking good? Like you're going to have one? Uh, yeah, it does. As a matter of fact, good. Uh, I think that, that and at least here, I think we'll be playing football. Um, I think there may be some modifications, you know, and what the stands look like, what the fans look like, that kind of stuff. And, um, I don't, I'm not really concerned about whether or not we're going to actually get a play. 
I'm really more concerned about what happens if there's another outbreak in mm. the middle of the season and you got to stop, you know, um, right. that, that could be detrimental again. <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just want to, I just want to get back out there and, you know, do what we love to do. That's, that's being the heat. Yep. <laughs> Practice running to people. And uh, I think we'll, JP2, I think we'll have a, a tremendous year again because we got a lot of guys coming back. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to it, brother. Well, that's awesome. Now, he's there coached and directed in the right way with you, sir. There's no doubt about that, what you've done over there and what the future lies ahead. Who knows? But again, where you're at right now, you're doing beautiful things, and those kids are very lucky. And I hope that. This season goes off without a hitch for you guys and see you in the state championship, winning it big time this year. And we have a good clean season. But like you said, air on the side of caution, health first. You know, hopefully we can make sure that we have, you know, a lid on this thing before we get back into the season. Because I know that you must be chopping at the bit to get on the field right now, George. Oh, absolutely. Yep. I, I mean, I am due to it. I mean, some of y'all, if y'all haven't seen me, I got this big old beard, <laughs> I'm afro, I'm ready to get out of this house. I love it. Uh, hey, get back to work. Uh, you know, it just, uh, we do have to be safe. You're right. Yeah. But I am ready to get back to a little bit of normalcy. Absolutely. Um, with whatever that means. And to me, that's hearing those whistles blow, those whistles dropping, yes. those power cleans, those squats. Yes. Uh, I need me some of that. Oh, I love it. I, I love it. That. That's great. And I, I hope it comes much sooner than later again on the safety side, no doubt. And speaking of safety, you are an unbelievable safety in the league. And it's been nothing but a pleasure having you on and learning from you, actually, which you never know what you're going to get, especially when you're talking to different athletes. I had Richmond Webb on last week from, from the Dolphins, blocking from Marino all those years. He was fantastic. You know, I get a lot of information out of you guys where I'm not looking, you know, for any insights like any jabs or anything but what it takes and what it took for you to make it to where you get to even nowadays it's tremendous george and it's been nothing but an absolute pleasure to be able to speak to you and to have everybody hear what's going on with you right now and what you've been through it's been great and i can't thank you enough for taking time out tonight hey thank you very much i'll ask you you know to give me a thank you and ask your your people to give me a follow on twitter and instagram and at teague football at teague football would be great if we could do that thank you for for all that you've you've done for me tonight great great interview man thank you oh thank believe me man the pleasure is all mine thank you so much again george teague check it out john paul two baby jp2 i love it the way you said that man coming up this fall Listen, I pray for all the health and goodness and well-being for you, your family, your team over there, and everybody around your community. George, thanks again so much for being on tonight. Please stay safe, my friend. All right. We'll talk soon, brother. You got it. All right. Thank you very much. George Teague for everybody on Rufus Sports Podcast. We'll be back on third and three this weekend, talking a little last dance and, of course, the NFL. We are out for now. Rufus Sports.